Welcome to the Dubai College Wellbeing Podcast. We are your hosts, the school counselors here at DC. This podcast is all about mental health. I am Sandra Gorman. I am Michelle Estacanchi. And I am Alison Kate. We are delighted to welcome Julie Mellon uh, to our podcast. Julie is a qualified state registered nurse, midwife, and pediatric community nurse with over 30 years of experience in the workplace. As a mother of three daughters and an experienced health practitioner, she has supported, encouraged, and coached many tired parents over the years. Here in the Middle East, She works as a gentle sleep coach and an educator in the field of maternal support services. She also works with adults to restore their sleep hygiene and their positive relationship with sleep. Julie started her company, Nurture to Sleep, in 2004 to support, encourage and empower families on their parenting journey. We are very excited for Julie to be here today to further in our conversation uh, that we started with Professor Mary in our last podcast on growing our understanding about sleep. Sleep plays such a big role in our lives and yet it's not something that we often talk about or perhaps know so much about. So welcome Julie, thank Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Is there anything you would like to add to what we've said? No, just about the importance of sleep is really I'm on my mission to educate. Thank you for being part of our, our mission in that. Um, we're going to start with uh, perhaps an understanding of, of what happens when we sleep. What is happening in our brain um, and in our body when we are sleeping? So what's interesting here is we still know that we still don't know that much about sleep. Sleep is a very new science and it's only with the introduction and development of technology, which is a real irony, are we beginning to learn so much more about sleep from the imaging, for example, and the changes that happen within our brain when we're sleeping. We also know that our brain is perhaps 30% more active when we sleep than when we are awake. So that'll give you some idea about the importance of sleep and what's going on. Mm. So there's many functions that are happening when we sleep. For example, that is the release of the human growth hormone. Now, that's why we say we only grow in the dark. So if we're looking at our children and our teenagers, that human growth hormone, 80% of it is delivered during the night. And it's generally in the first part of the night, the first half of the night. And according to the research, it's approximately 20%, if not less, during the day. So with that human growth hormone, it's growth of the brain. It's not just height and weight. Mm. Um, lots of other things such as memory consolidation is happening Um, our immune system is being is being built so there is a lot going on when we sleep when we sleep well I didn't know I didn't realize that that's the time when we're doing all that growing so how many hours do you think that teenagers or children should be sleeping and I'm sure it changes depending on what age the teenagers are what would you recommend Well, if we're looking at the National Sleep Foundation, their recommendation of many, many studies over the years, it does exactly as you say, as we age, it changes. So with our young babies, they can have, so from from birth to approximately six months, their overall sleep would be something between 12 and 14 hours sleep. 
and then preschoolers about six years to 12 years of age. Uh, sorry, preschoolers three to five. Three to five is approximately 11 to still to 14 hours, but it depends on your child too how much sleep they need. Then with our school children, which are six, age six to 12 years, we really want them to be doing somewhere between 10 and 11 hours. And then with our teenagers and 13 to 18, somewhere between eight and 10. And then from there, from 18 to 25, anything between seven and nine hours. But what's interesting, again, with our teenagers, their sleep is very different from children's sleep. And, you know, working very closely with, with Professor Mary Cascadon, nine hours, 15 minutes is the amount of time that our teenagers need for healthy brain development. Because when we're sleeping, that cognitive function is really improved, memory consolidation. And in the environment in which they are requiring so much memory, they need the sleep. So, yeah. A lot of our teenagers will nap in between and then have shorter periods of sleep during the night because they, they're doing lots of sports and they're studying loads, um, but they'll have a quick nap. And we just, can, it, can that be a useful strategy for children and teens? Napping can be a really helpful strategy. And there's lots of research to show us how, there's many, one study I can think of immediately showed us um, teenagers when they napped, their, their ability to perform a test was much greater. So napping consolidates the memory. It also boosts creativity. So napping is really important. And as little as 15 seconds of rapid eye movement sleep within that nap increases um, a teenager's ability with mathematical problem, for example. And the studies are there. So it's really fascinating that it, because what happens in that nap, um, the brain is allowed, it's almost like we join the dots. It's showing us that when we nap, memories that we have formed during the day, we can actually retrieve them much more um, consistently and convincingly. So napping for our students is really helpful. And just a follow-on question on that then. Is there an optimum time that you should nap? Because for different things, but I can't remember, is there an optimum amount of there, time? There is definitely optimal times. So in order for us to sleep, we need two systems or two mechanisms. The first mechanism we need for sleep is what's called our circadian rhythm. Now the circadian rhythm is all about light coming in to the brain. and we have one master clock, which it's deep in the pituitary, but it's basically at the back of our eyes. eyes. And then that tells all the other clocks in our body what time it is. So how many other clocks do we have in our body? Roughly. Mm. We have a food clock. Yeah, <laughs> we, do. we absolutely do. We have our digestive clock. We have 37. We do. Wow. So... We have 37 clocks in our body. So once that information comes here, it's obviously got a long, it's got a while till it disseminates all that information so we're ready to sleep. So it's very, the timing is very important because the second mechanism that we need for sleep is what's called sleep pressure. Now sleep pressure, the example would be, the longer we go without food, food, the hungrier we become. 
sleep's the same. The longer we go without sleep, the sleepier we become. Now, if we are having a nap too late into the afternoon, then that is going to compromise our sleep pressure. Mm. And it's going to make falling asleep, it will lead to falling asleep being more difficult and can disrupt our sleep during the night. So too late into the afternoon is definitely going to disrupt our sleep. Now, teenagers are quite a unique group of individuals. And we know that their sleep is disrupted due to their melatonin coming in later. We know that. And so if our teenagers are going to be sleeping considerably later, it's much better that they have a nap rather than keep going, keep going, and then go to to bed late as well. So it's much better. Mm. And of course, there's the duration. Now, according to NASA, the perfect nap is 26 minutes. Mm. However, it's how groggy you feel if you sleep for too long. Mm. Now, that grogginess is known as sleep inertia. And a, a nap as short as 10 minutes can be restorative can give you that boost, can improve your physical performance. It can, you know, really help you focus, improve your creativity. So it doesn't have to be that long. So it can be as short as 10 minutes. A good average would be 20 minutes, but certainly no longer than 30 minutes. So that that would be your napping. Makes sense. Ginny, you, you spoke a little bit about um, these these clocks and it made me think of food uh, where well, you mentioned food um does would you say that food um, and potentially caffeine and things like that would that play a role in um how well we sleep and how well we can fall asleep okay that's a very big question it's um so looking at all these different clocks as an example our skin is the largest organ in our body and so if we're out and we have a short sleeve T-shirt on, our skin is covered in lots of time receptors. So that information from the natural light is confirming with the brain, it's going through and it's relaying that information, what time it is. So for example, if we're out having a walk at 5.30 in the evening, the light and the time receptors on our body is confirming with the brain, it's 5.30 p.m., not 5.30 a.m. So that's why light is so important. And it's much better for all of us to have that exposure to early morning light, even just 10 to 15 minutes early morning, mm-hmm. and the same again late evening, because that just keeps our clock, our biological clock, on the correct timing. Mm-hmm. So I was very conscious when I was driving here this morning, before I put my sunglasses on, I needed my light, my eyes to be exposed. Mm-hmm. So I drove for approximately eight minutes and then I put my sunglasses on mm. because that is really helping my clock keep on time and yet also protecting my eyes as well. Mm. So it's not about being reckless at any point, but it's it's trying to optimise. Now, going back to your food, we know that the two really um, relevant disruptors to sleep is light but food. Mm. And so one of the clocks that you were mentioning at the very beginning Once that melatonin has kicked in, so the melatonin for us as adults comes in somewhere around 10 o'clock, 9.30, 10, depending on our chronotype, depending on whether we are an owl or a lark. Now, once that melatonin comes in, if we then eat something, quite a heavy meal or a sugary snack, then 
we're not able to digest it and process it as efficiently because already the clock for digestion has been told to really slow down and sleep is coming soon. So it can have a really negative impact on our sleep quality. Mm. And that's the same with our children. So ideally with our children, not teens particularly, but certainly we that has to be in mind. But with our children 5.30, somewhere between 5.30 and 6 is the ideal time for our children to eat their evening meal. Because then the clock has not started to slow down it, it will really digest it much more efficiently mm. and it would if you know if they're eating their meal about seven o'clock at night it's the equivalent of us having a four course meal at 11 p.m 12 p.m mm. we wouldn't asleep as well mm. so yes yeah, so, and caffeine caffeine <laughs> yeah caffeine caffeine is um if we're kind of thinking of particularly with our teenagers with the drinks now that are available and we are told, you know, they're really good for energy boosting. And, of course, they're only given half the information. They're not told how it totally disrupts their sleep. And there's caffeine hidden in so many things. You know, Panadol. Panadol contains 65 grams of caffeine. And if we're looking at a cup of coffee from, you know, one of your popular brands a uh, americano there's approximately 65 to 70 grams in a cup of coffee so if you think you know some of our teenagers you know pmt and so on they might be going to bed at night and they take a couple so there's lots of things that do have caffeine in which we're not aware of at all that's interesting because you often will have a Panadol if you're in pain yeah. before you go to bed. You think, okay, I'll, I'll yes. have a Panadol before I go to bed so that I sleep well I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, suffering. So that's... And it isn't... One of the biggest reasons is that caffeine has a long shelf life, up to six hours. And so if you have a, a coffee, say, at two o'clock and that's it, you're done for the day, and because you know you're, you're maybe sensitive to it. And that's the thing. Everybody has a different sensitivity. Now, they may have a different sensitivity to caffeine. So, oh, you know, if I have one at 10 o'clock at night, it doesn't impact me at all. But there's lots of research, and the, the gold standard for sleep studies is the polysonography. Now, in that polysonography, that will show how the caffeine has impacted your sleep, even though we're not aware of it. But what it's showing us is that our deep sleep is actually being impacted and so the deep sleep is so important for, um, you know, all kinds of levels of restoration and repair. You know, if we're not getting enough deep sleep, we're more prone to injuries. So it, it is really important. Okay. Um, are there healthy supplements that can promote sleep? Or is there supplements we may be taking that are actually hindering our sleep? Well, there's definitely... Um, supplements we can take to to support our sleep. Now, the most obvious one would be magnesium. Now, magnesium is known as the sleep mineral. And what that does is it relaxes our spinal cord. So it relaxes the whole spinal nervous system in preparation for sleep as well. So magnesium is a really healthy supplement. What's interesting about magnesium as well is how we take it. So if we can have, you know, if we can bathe in magnesium flakes, which are you can get them everywhere, this is five times more effective than taking one capsule 
Mm. And again, due to the skin being the largest organ in the body, it absorbs through all the elements. And that really helps us for sleep. Now, if you are taking a capsule, it's about when you take it as well. So to take it one hour before bedtime is going to be the most helpful. Um, another supplement, actually, is vitamin B12. And vitamin B12, the studies are really showing that not only does it help you fall asleep easier or faster, but it also helps you stay asleep. So, and, and it's to do with the regulation of all the different, um, of the biochemistry of our sleep. So vitamin B12 is a good one. Um, now, one of the reasons that so many of us are low in magnesium and zinc quite often is because because a lot of the food that we have here in Dubai is getting much, much better, um, but it's imported. And so it's picked before it's ripe um, to travel to here. And then it hasn't absorbed all these wonderful nutrients that it should be absorbing, such as the magnesium and the zinc. So that's why it's important to have the such supplements. So those would be yeah. our two main ones. Yeah, sometimes people mention, um, oh, have a chamomile tea to help you sleep. Is that mm-hmm. just myth or is it? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, it's quite interesting. Um, there's a wonderful neuroscientist called Matthew Walker. And he is one of the leading neuroscientists when it comes to sleep. He originally is from Liverpool, which we won't talk about <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, beating Manchester United, killing mm-hmm. them. Um, but Matthew Walker, he is um, a professor at Berkeley, California. So much research that he is working on. And he is looking at chamomile tea, for example, and said, there isn't any evidence to show that chamomile tea helps with sleep. He said, but it's more the absence of it. So it's not that they, there isn't, it's just they haven't found it. Excuse me, sorry, they haven't found it yet. But no, chamomile tea is really helpful. Valerian root. Valerian root is a really powerful antioxidant and helps with sleep. You know, lavender, a spray of lavender on your pillow um, that can really help with your sleep. It relaxes the mind and a lavender bath, and that can really help too. So there is a number of things that we can take in order to prepare the mind for sleeping. Yeah. So if we had a teenager who was really struggling with sleep, would you say like it would be nice to do the vitamin B12 supplement in the morning, maybe magnesium bath, plate bath in the evening, and then some lavender spray? With those three things, like highly likely improve the sleep, then so what we're talking about here is often being described as sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. I actually like much prefer to say sleep health because hygiene there's something clinical about it. So, sleep health, yes, they would be part of what will really help a teenager, you know, sleep better and be more rested. But one of the most important things is the consistency of getting up in the morning around the same time and going to bed around the same time. The consistency is critical. But And then other things, you know, the screen time. So all of these things will help a teenager fall asleep more easily. But it's understanding why they're having issues with sleeping. If anxiety is an issue with sleeping, we really need to look at the anxiety. Now... There's a a number of bodies in the UK, for example, who um, they are really working at 
not looking at the anxiety particularly and giving solutions to whatever difficulties they're having. And, and there's, there's a lot of controversy over this um, approach. But sometimes we just need to look at the sleep again. Let's get them having some more sleep and then we can revisit the anxiety. So it's, it's very individual. It's really looking to see where we can meet the need of our teenager. Um, wanting it to be a very collaborative approach, but we've also got them to buy in. We have to have them to buy into the sleep. Mm. I think that's really interesting because um, sometimes we can look at as, as school counsellors, we're talking about anxiety and we'll, and we'll work with the anxiety, but also then what are some real things that you can also do, just really simple strategies. So you're doing both at the same time. You're looking at the anxiety, then we're doing our B12 and our lavender and our magnesium flakes and things, some practical work like together. Yes. And I, yeah. and you would just get the magnesium flakes out of any type yeah. of pharmacy. Yeah, any kind of pharmacy. You can order it online for the bigger bags. You can get it anywhere. Really, really helpful. And there's a really nice rub that you of magnesium that you can, now. If we've got younger children, because I do suggest it with younger children, but always do the spot test first. Mm -hmm. So we know that between our wrist and the inside of our elbow is the most sensitive part in our entire body. So with you know, dilute the flakes a little bit, rub it in, and monitor. And if there's no redness over twelve hours, you're good to go. Okay. So. Can I just jump in there quickly and just ask, um, one can get melatonin on, you know, these little gummies and quite easily. What do you, what are your thoughts on, on that as a supplement to support, well, not a supplement, but as something to support sleep? Um, so melatonin is an endocrine disruptor. It's like taking the oral contraceptive pill because it disrupts the whole endocrine system. And... There is, everyone is taking, lots of people are taking melatonin. It's not actually going to improve your sleep. That's not how melatonin works. It's not a sedative. It just helps to regulate the onset of sleep, not the rest of our sleep. The really alarming factor here about melatonin is going into a pharmacy, it's not necessarily going to have what it says on the box and there's been lots of studies recently with the FDA which are demonstrating that with melatonin it can have up to 80% and possibly more more melatonin in than it actually is saying so if it's saying it's got five five milligrams of melatonin which we shouldn't be taking anyway it should be much nearer 1.5 milligrams of melatonin but that can have up to 80 times more. And the reason for that is because it has a short shelf life. And so if the uh, suppliers are putting it, it's going to be on the shelf for a year, when people come to check if, so they put more on it, more in the actual melatonin um, to safeguard it, not having less when it's going to be picked up by a regulator. So it's not for the benefit of the the quality, yeah. And also, interestingly, with these melatonin gummies, this year there has been a 66% increase in the number of children admitted um, with an overdose of melatonin. Now, melatonin in itself isn't terrible in, in that, you know, lots of headaches and nausea and vomiting. That's not the worst thing. But every time we take a melatonin, 
it's telling the pituitary gland, which is where it's made, which is why it's an endocrine disruptor. Um, oh, you don't need quite so much. So let's reduce the amount of melatonin we're producing. Same with, with coffee and caffeine. The more we take, the more we need to have more of the, the coffee because the body is getting used to it. So it doesn't have the same impact. But that's why melatonin is not best for sleep as a short-term measure. Possibly, if you are flying, possibly. But even then, we can look at using food. We can look at using light, which is a much better strategy for adjusting. Thank you. That's helpful. So fascinating. Um, we, just uh, moving a little bit away, but very, very... Um, very pertinent to our teens, and I think to adults and probably young children as well, is screen time. And, you know, um, I think especially after COVID and so much of our schooling is on screen, and then also with social media and all the other things. How does it affect the quality of sleep that teens are getting and um, their quality of their life when they're awake? I think, we've, especially with our teenagers, we have to be really careful when we're talking about screens. We have to acknowledge and accept that screen, when used in a healthy way, is wonderful. They can learn, it can help them stay connected with their socializing, which is so important to teenagers. But we also want to set healthy limits and healthy boundaries. And so many studies are showing us repeatedly that we, when we as parents set these limits and boundaries, then our teenagers are much happier knowing where that limit and where that boundary is. Now, as our child develops and becomes older and becomes nearer the time when they're going to be going off to university, that's when our strategy as parents, again, needs to change. It needs to be even more collaborative because we want to, you know, start having that discussion around, you know, how much time does the screen mean to our teenagers in order for them to fully function are they able to turn that screen off easily can they come off their phone and if they can't do it within the setting here at home then during university it's going to be much harder so we're starting to put things in practice for when we're not there there's um james joyce is a, a wonderful scholar an irish scholar and i remember reading something now it was an it, it was, he was actually talking about a lover. But I remember reading that when I had my three daughters. And it said, he said, I want my greatest presence to be felt in my absence. And I remember thinking, oh, that's what I want for my daughters. I want my daughters to know I'm right beside them, wherever they are. But this again is about sleep. You know, what would mommy say? Would she say that was a good idea or not? And, you know, having adult children now, they often say to me, yeah, what would you say? I know. But it's good because it, as long as it's done not in power, when we talk about power, we've lost our children, we've lost our teenagers. So it's about screen time is different at different ages, like sleep is different at different ages. The reason why screen is so detrimental to sleep is because of that invisible blue light that it emits. Now, the intensity from the mobile is different from the intensity to the screen of a TV, for example. The intensity from a um, an iPad is different, again, from a TV. So it's recognising the light is much more intense from the mobile. 
And why it's so disruptive to sleep is because the blue light is understood by the brain as two o'clock in the afternoon. It's de- you know, if our teens are watching the, the screen at 11 o'clock at night, their body has an understanding now that it's two o'clock in the afternoon and quick, turn the melatonin off. We've got confused. And so from the very beginning of their night's sleep, it's completely disrupted. And the other thing we know is with our younger children, because their brain is so much more sensitive to the light, it totally disrupts their um, memory restoration, their deep sleep, their language, their verbal memory. And again, going back to the napping, we know a lot of the studies are shown with the napping, um, it promotes verbal memory. So same with our teenagers, they're in class and you know the teacher has said something about when they nap, that's going to restore that verbal conversation that they've had earlier on in the day. So going back to the screen, we've got to let our teenagers know that it's not an us and them. You know, we're together. And how can we work together? And because, you know, we all grow up with like, you know, come off your screen, turn it off, turn it off. And actually, that's not the most helpful. It's okay. So so how do we think the screen is impacting you? Are you feeling really tired? Maybe we can get you off the screen a little bit earlier. So it all has to be manageable a little bit earlier. So thank you. That was really, um, it's really helpful because I think we all have screens and um, for some, we have different rules in our homes. Maybe some would say leave the screen outside the bedroom um, and maybe that's a helpful thing because we do are tempted, aren't we? But besides um, mental health and physical health, how is our immune system supported through sleep? Um, um, just going back to you know leaving our screens outside the bedroom again, is, if we do it as a family, mm-hmm. that's much more powerful. Mm-hmm. That's where that collaborative approach is. You know, family values. Nobody has their screens in their bedtime, mm-hmm. in their bedroom, and it can. It's really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health and building our immune system building the immune system is huge in that during the night there is this wonderful protein that is um, produced during the night and it's the protein called cytokines now we know so much of the research has shown us that the cytokines are most produced during the night very little during the day and so the more sleep we get the more cytokines we're going to going to produce and make and therefore our immune system is very so much stronger during the day you know there is a reason how within our society we are so dark deprived you know there's so much light from everything and so all this environment which is a perfect environment for sleep is being compromised we're also getting so much more less sleep at night we know that And so when we're sleeping less, the body has less time to do all these incredible things, such as produce these cytokines, which is going to build our immune system. Now, going back to our mental health, um, what's very interesting is that when we sleep, the sleep is almost like it's separated into two parts. And we often say that sleep is not a straight line, it's very dynamic. First half of our night sleep is all about deep sleep. So you know, restoration and repair. And then the second half is all about rapid eye movement sleep. Now, the rapid eye movement sleep is much more about 
emotional processing. It's almost like we put a band-aid, an emotional band-aid. So it really helps to make sense of all the things that has happened during the day. We, and one of the reasons that we know that is because when we are sleeping, the um, in our rapid eye movement sleep, the amygdala, which is the emotional part, our downstairs brain, that is activated so much more in our rapid eye movement sleep. So when we have a good amount of sleep, which is healthy, that is going to help us with our overall sleep and our emotional health. Now, a question we're often asked is how much rapid eye movement sleep do we need? And we should be spending approximately 20 to 25% of our overall sleep in our rapid eye movement. Now, if we're looking at our young teenagers, if they are getting up early and they're having to get up, say, for a swimming at five, if they're getting up every morning at five, you know, Monday to Friday, it may seem that they're only missing out on 20% of their overall sleep, but actually they're missing on 80% of their rapid eye movement sleep. So that emotional processing, and for our teenagers, it's really critical. So we just have to look at how the overall sleep quality, and so it's not just about quantity. It makes a lot of sense. I think I think we've all felt it, haven't we? When we haven't slept well and we feel a bit more emotional the next day, but that that clarity that you've just given us now of when that is happening makes a lot of sense. So that if we actually and for many of our teenagers, they're getting to bed late and then waking up early for yeah. extra studies or, as you say, swing practice or, or something like that. So actually they, they you know, shortchanging themselves on both sides. Yeah. Again, that's quite interesting. So what you're talking about here is called sleep debt. Mm-hmm. And with that sleep debt, again, there's lots of controversy. There's a, a number of neuroscientists who say it can never be paid back. There's still some research and from leading researchers and, and very current researchers, and they said they say we can put some of the sleep back and the sleep that repay it, but their guidelines generally are within the week. So if you know we had a, t- a teenager who's got lots of exams and they're staying up late and they're staying up late, you know once. I mean, we don't. We want to avoid it, but information is what's going to help them as well as to why, you know, the earlier they get to bed, the greater their memory and their testing, the outcome is going to be better. But if they feel they can't, then that can be made up in the following week, that sleep that they'd lost. Now, not completely, but it's, it's definitely better than um, thinking... I can't get this back. We can a little bit. So sleep debt is really what you were referring to. Just to ask on, on from that, when you mentioned the sleep environment, you know, you were saying it's to be dark and we're having those screens. What is it about noise or music? A lot of people would have music on to go to sleep. Is that impacting our sleep, do you think? Or is it, is it disrupting or is it soothing? Um, according to all the neuroscience data, one of the most positive sleep associations is um, white noise. Okay. Now, evidentially, the best white noise for sleep is the sound of the ocean. And the reason they think why the sound of the ocean is, is the pattern of behavior. So the tide goes out and the tide comes in. And that's what really, the brain likes to know what's happening next. 
So then it allows to trust and just to relax into the sleep. So white noises are really healthy sleep association. We also know, and again, this is down to a lot of the scientists who are doing work now on Alzheimer's. And what they're finding is that the white noise, the sound of the ocean specifically, that is actually, again, helping to consolidate memory. And so if we think about our teenagers and all the studying, if they're sleeping with white noise, again, that's with the sound of the ocean, that's what's helping their memory. So that's a really positive aspect. Also, you know, environmental noise, that can disrupt our sleep. And if we can use the sound of the ocean, that drowns out the sleep and doesn't disrupt the sleep. So yes. Mm -hmm. So looking at our environment, if we're looking at the environment... It, the environment has to be conducive to sleep. It has to, where we're sleeping, we want it to be a sleep haven. So um, one of the parents I went to see recently, um, they were advised that this room had to be really quite clinical. Now, this is for a young child, but, you know, they can't have any toys in and they can't. And yet the mummy in, instinctively knew that this didn't sit with her and this wasn't quite right because the first thing I absorbed when I observed when I walked into the room was this room did not make me feel cosy. This room did not make me feel safe and leave all the stresses and strains of the day outside my room. Because sleep ultimately is separation. So we don't want the room to be too active and have you know lots of clutter everywhere. We do want a calming environment we also want a very cool environment. We know that the body sleeps better in a cooling environment, cooling, uh, cooler environment, and that's because of the physiology of our sleep. We know that from you know once that melatonin has been released into our blood sleep, bloodstream every night, one of the things that is going to really help is if we would have either a warm shower or a bath, because that then sends the information to the pituitary gland to confirm that sleep is coming soon. So the, the decline, very small decline of your body temperature falling once you've got out of the shower, that reinforces the time. So your biological clock is now on time and that's why you'll be sleeping better. So a shower or bath before bed really, really helps. But again, light, so critical. Um, LED lighting, it's the same as putting a the screen on so the one place where you wouldn't have led lighting and um, would be your bedroom or the bathroom you know if you think about it we're getting all sleepy we've dimmed the lights outside and we then go into the bathroom turn the light on and it's bright bright light we've just totally disrupted the melatonin so it's just being mindful about is this light serving my sleepiness um, and then with the screen um, I was talking to a teenager recently and um, she was asking about how how long before bed do I need to turn the screen time off? Um, and I said to her, 30 minutes. She was ecstatic. She thought I was going to say two hours. So again, it's about getting our teenagers on board. Ideally, it would be two hours, but that's not going to happen. So we have to set realistic goals for our teenagers. It has to be what they can manage. So 30 minutes. And what you would do with that is I'd get them to set a timer on their phone 30 minutes before they anticipate bed. Say, okay, come off your screens now. Really, let's put the lighting down and let's 
calm ourselves down for sleep. Journaling, lots and lots of studies are showing us that journaling is really helpful and promotes sleep. Because there is something about just taking everything that's here and putting it down on paper. Now, it doesn't have to be reams. It can be bullet points. Just a couple of things, and then we can go to sleep more in a more relaxed state. Sounds so nice. (laughs) Definitely going to be happening. Another thing that teenagers do worry about is is acne. And so can teenagers get more um, acne from not sleeping well? Yes, they can. And that's from a physiological perspective. So acne is very much one of the causes around inflammation. And we know that when we get more sleep, the the body um, is able to reduce cortisol. And cortisol is what is the trigger for inflammation. So more sleep, less cortisol, and very definitely. Thinking again about it, our skin is the largest organ in our body. And so if we're not sleeping, it's going to have one of the biggest impacts. So yes, it can can have a big impact. So interesting. So much is linked to sleep. And so you just spoke a little bit about bedtime routines, um, just about the white noise, cool environment, warm bath and journaling. Would you walk us through um, what a nice bedtime routine would look like? Just an example of of the optimal bedtime routine, something for us to follow. So again, it depends on on the different ages of our children and teenagers, and even of ourselves. But if we think in those early days, we were so um, focused into creating this beautiful bedtime routine. And then as our children have got older, we kind of let that slip and let that slip. One of the most fascinating um, elements that I discovered when I was in America, so I was invited to speak, a sleep symposium last year in America. And I attended one of these incredible lectures, including Professor Mary Cascadden. But one of them that I um, attended was they were looking at teens and sleep and what had the greatest impact on a good night's sleep for our teenagers. And what was really fascinating, the studies were very, very robust. And what was really fascinating was that regardless of you know, what element of what's of society we are in, excuse me, sorry, rich or poor, mm-hmm. uh, it, it didn't matter what socioeconomic group. The biggest factor that impacted a teen's sleep was the routine. That consistent bedtime and that winding down. And the winding down would be, you know, having a bath, putting the lights down, reading on a book, for even just 10 to 15 minutes um, and then going to sleep. But it is that, that for me was really fascinating, regardless of the socioeconomic factors, what was relevant to all was the bedtime routine. I think that is fascinating. And what's interesting, I think even as adults, is that, you know, so I have little ones and we do focus so much on that routine. And I can see my, as my older one gets older, okay. And as adults, I think sometimes we forget about it all together. But, you know, to remind ourselves how important that routine is for our teenagers, for ourselves, for everybody, just to have that winding down. You know, it's like, for example, I'll say to parents about how important the routine is. When we go to bed at night, when we brush our teeth, if we were to be conscious of how many times, it would be the same every single night. We're just not aware of how many times, but it's because we've got into that routine and built that into our sleep. 
So routine is really important. We um, we love having you here. We have. I could ask you a thousand questions, and probably will as you leave. Um, but for our listeners, um, they might want to get hold of you, and we're so lucky to have you here in Dubai. And how would you? How would you tell our listeners to get hold of you if they have some more questions? Probably the most immediate is my Instagram account, which is nurture2sleep.com. So nurture2sleep.com. Or, you know, there is a website, Nurture to Sleep, and that is also a really good place to get hold of me. I think the one thing that we are just about food and sleeping. There's lots of wonderful foods. And, for example, salmon. Salmon is such a good food for sleep because it contains tryptophan, which boosts our melatonin. Cherries. Cherries are, has the highest natural source of melatonin. So again, you know, for our teenagers, we really want to help them sleep, get the best sleep. Think about what they're eating before they go to bed. I remember my um, second daughter was studying for one of her exams. And, and I said to her, I said, what I know that if you have an apple, an apple will give, will give you more energy than a cup of coffee. So let's so um, being aware of parents of how we can help our children. So it's not saying no, you can't have that, but it's I know this is better. And look, here are the studies to show you because I've just I just want to help you. We want to help our seniors. Yogurt, yogurt is such a good food for sleep. Um, and that's because it relaxes the muscle. Mm. Eggs, eggs are really good for sleep. Now, foods that are not helpful for sleep would be our nightshades, such as beetroot or aubergines, but other ones such as pepperoni. So that, because it contains an amino acid, which stimulates the brain to stay awake. So if our teens are having, you know, that, pizza right before bed <laughs> then that's not going to help them with their sleep so we've just got to be mindful about what we're eating before we go to sleep so sorry thank no, you no, so thank you Julia. thank you i think um what is so lovely about your approach is this feeling of, of uh, collaboratively working with our teams and i think often on these big things like sleep they can it can introduce um a, a clash of will um and i love the fact that you have come in with such a gentle beautiful approach a lot of research we can hear behind what you're saying and that gives us confidence to know that that's you know um this is good stuff but also the the heart of it has just been so lovely so really thank you so much you're <laughs> Um, and lovely that our, our listeners can reach out if they need you. Thank you. I've really appreciated the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you to you, our listeners, for taking time out of your day to join in our discussion about mental health. If you want to hear more, please stay tuned for our next Dubai College Wellbeing Podcast. And if no one has told you today, know that you are enough.